This morning, I have the privilege of continuing a series that we started last week that we are calling Body Works. Again, nothing to do with cosmetics or fragrances or candles or anything like that has to do with the church. We want to have a conversation about the church. And as we said, you know, at this time of year, we are wrapping up the summer months, which is crazy to think. And as we wrap up the summer, we round the corner and we start to head towards the crazy chaos that is the fall. And as the fall comes upon us, it tends to bring with us busyness. And insanity and we are running around like crazy and the flexibility in our schedule is just gone. Our work just ramps up a little bit and things are a little crazier um, there. And school starts and we transform into Uber drivers uh, for our kids. And we find that we have less and less and less margin. And we start to answer each other more and more often as busy. How are you? Busy. And we wanted to have a conversation, a challenging conversation, granted. And we wanted to say something without disclaimer, without apology. And that's this. Whatever you do, as you start to round the corner towards the craziness of the fall, whatever else you do, make sure you make priority room to love and serve the church. Whatever you do, whatever else you do, make sure you make priority room to love and serve the church. It doesn't have to be this local church. It could be whatever other local church you are a part of. Um, In fact, we are going even a little bit further than that to suggest if you find yourself at some point saying I'm too busy to love or connect with or serve the local church, you are just plain too busy. Whatever else you do, make sure you make Priority room to love and serve the church. And last week, we talked about one of the primary reasons why. Why would we get up here and risk losing friends, talking to busy, soon-to-be busier people, telling them whatever you do, make room to serve the church? Well, the reason we would say that is because Jesus Christ does that very thing. The church takes a central place in his agenda and his affections, and he loves and serves the church to great sacrifice. And we want to be crazy about what he's crazy about. We want to be passionate and join him in what he is passionate about. But this morning we want to look at uh, another reason why we would say that. Actually, to, to make room to love and serve the church is of great benefit to you. Um, I was recently reading uh, an article, and the article was really centered around this idea, this reality that is being referred to as the great resignation. Um, Man, one of the things the pandemic did for many of us is it created this space, this moment that we don't normally have to reflect on our lives. Things got shaken up. Our schedule slowed down. Work went home for for many of us. And it gave us this moment to pause and ask some soul-piercing questions. Questions such as, do I like my life? 
questions such as, do I like who I'm doing life with? Is this job what I want to do for the rest of my life? Because now that I've had time to slow down, I'm realizing it does not stir my soul to satisfaction. I feel like I'm just on the grind all the time. The pandemic stirred in many of us these life-altering questions about am I truly satisfied with where I am in life. And it stirred, it led to for many people what's being referred to as a great resignation. People just started leaving their jobs in order to chase after something that they thought is going to be a little bit more fulfilling. Sadly, many people left relationships to head after what they believed would be more fulfilling. All because they had time to ask the question, is this the level of life I want to be living on? Is this the level I want to be living on? It's interesting. Paul talks about something similar. He talks about levels in the section of scripture we're going to look at this morning. We want to talk about the church. And levels. If you happen to have a copy of the Bible, meet me in Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a copy, you're going to see the verses will um, um, appear on the screen here in the room or wherever you happen to be tuning in from. Romans chapter 12. And we are going to start reading at verse number 3. Here's what Paul says. It says, for the grace, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. This is Paul's way of saying, I didn't ask for this position. I didn't ask for this job. Jesus, for his own reasons, gave me this assignment to speak with his authority. So consider what's coming next A message from heaven. And heaven says to each one of you. Second part of verse 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Whoa, that's not the most uplifting, inspiring word or message from heaven or from Paul or the combination. Heaven says, don't go around thinking you are more important than you actually are. Heaven doesn't like it when you do that. This to me was a fascinating statement to read and look into. Because it's suggesting that in the economy of heaven, apparently there are levels of importance and each one of us belongs on one of them. There are levels of importance and each one of us has been assigned to a level. Did you know that? I didn't. 
Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Meaning what? When it comes to how you perceive yourself, there is a level at which you ought to think of yourself. But it's never okay to start to walk around and think of yourself or start to act like you belong on a level higher than the one that's been assigned to you. Because apparently there are levels. There is a way to think about yourself that heaven considers healthy, that heaven considers appropriate. And it's when what you think of yourself corresponds with the level of importance that's been assigned to you. Paul uses the words sober judgment. Sober judgment. And intuitively that actually makes sense to us. When I'm sober in the uh, beverage consumption sense of the word... I am pretty level. I'm not too high. I'm not too low. I'm level in my thinking, or at least I should be. That's what Paul is saying. When you think about yourself, think levelly. Stay on your level when you think about yourself. Do not think you belong on a higher level than the level you actually belong on. That's thinking with sober judgment. Man, that's a strange way to talk about levels. And how I think about myself. And yet it makes total sense. Have I told you the story of the first time that I felt the need to really invest in a tennis racket? No? It's a good one. It's a good one. So um, I really picked up playing tennis when my wife and I just got married. I was 22. I was a seminary student. And uh, we just, for some reason, started going out to the tennis courts and playing tennis every day. And what we noticed over time was that we were getting pretty good at tennis. After a while, we're like, forget getting pretty good. We are actually good at tennis. So good, mind you, that I felt the need to call one of my best friends who happened to be the, the number one ranked tennis player at our college. And I said to him, I'm not saying I'm the best tennis player in the world. But I am saying I'm better than you. Apparently... That was enough to get him to drop whatever he was doing at the time and make his way over to the courts. Um, the first time he served at me, 80 miles an hour or so, because he wasn't warm yet. <laughs> I swung for that sucker. Look at my form. I, I, <laughs> I told you I was good. I swung for that sucker Missed the entire thing. In all fairness to me, I didn't, I don't think I saw the ball. Um, but again, my defense, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for it. All right. So now I'm ready. So he serves a second time. Okay. Before you get all snooty and judge me, I'll have you know 
I made contact with the ball and immediately proceeded to wish I had not. (laughs) My wrist said, we should not have done that. And my racket said, Pharaoh, let my people go. That thing falls out of my hand. It is on the ground. And as my arm is still doing the slinky, it occurred to me, I need to invest in a new racket. Um, Because obviously, the only reason this happened was because I needed a better racket. This is Paul's whole point. The problem wasn't that I needed a better racket. The problem was that I thought I was on a level that I actually did not belong on. And I nearly died. (laughs) This is what Paul is getting at. Levels. Come on. Have you ever thought that you were better at something than you actually are? I'm not asking for a show of hands. You know. Have you ever been just like, I'm going to just bust up into their home and surprise them? Have you? Because you thought your friendship was at a level it actually wasn't. And you assumed they would be happy to see you. At levels. I'm just asking. Do you have people in your life who just think they're better at things than they really are? And maybe you don't have the heart to tell them. And you're sitting next to them right now. Which is awkward. Don't look, I might suggest. It's annoying. You got to know your level, man. Overcooking the burgers every time. Um, People will say to me sometimes, what's it like um, helping to lead a large church? And my response now, whether I say it out loud or think it in my mind, is like, I'll let you know when I am. See, because I used to think Mission Point was a large church. Then I traveled a little bit and learned there are levels. (laughs) There are levels, y'all. Numerically speaking. Don't get me wrong. When it comes to awesomeness and good looks and fashion sense, we are at the best. We're... (laughs) Look at you all. Um, Levels. Sometimes, um, as the kids will say, I'll start feeling myself. And I'll start saying stuff like this. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of famous. Um, I I just don't feel like I can go anywhere in Warsaw without running into someone who knows me. You know. And uh, First of all, it's not true. Second of all, at best... That makes me like micro-known in Warsaw. (laughs) Go to Pearson, buddy. No one knows you there because there are levels. Some of you run around your block. Okay, you can call yourself a runner. about to go to the Olympics and if you try you would die know your levels there are legitimately levels Um, if you believe that you are on a level that you're actually not on it's really interesting you not be able to fully live 
meaningfully. You will live deceived, believing something misguided, challenging the wrong people to tennis matches, trying to run in the Olympics. You'll be pursuing avenues that aren't yours. They're not on your level because you thought you were on a level that actually didn't belong to you. And then a pandemic will hit and you run into a crisis realizing I I don't belong here. If you don't get the level, man, you're going to misread every cue. And believe she is interested in you for years and years and years. Wasting the best days of your romantic swag. Not understanding. No, you are firmly in the friend zone. Know the level. Which is one of the reasons I'm a firm advocate for DTR. I like to find the relationship early. So you can know what level is this relationship on. So you don't think of it more highly than it actually is. Levels, they actually matter. There is a level in the economy of God on which you actually belong. And it matters that you know it so you do not think yourself on a higher level than the one you actually belong That you don't start thinking yourself a little more important than you actually are. Now, I know the way that church is. I know how we can get. So let me say this really quickly. This is not Paul inviting the church to that thing we do. That false humility that's often clothed in self-deprecation. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, listen. Don't think you're more important than you do. Instead, think I am but a worm. A sinful gnat. That ought to be squished. No one loves me. I can't even run. You can run just not at the Olympics. No one, no one likes me. No people like you just not at that level. Just say, this is where we as a church think this is an invitation to start doing that humility thing where we just self-deprecate and we talk about ourselves like, no, you have incredible importance in the economy of God. There's been a level of importance assigned to you. You matter more than you could possibly know. All Paul is saying is, don't think you're at a higher level than the level of importance you're actually on. God has assigned importance to you. Don't exceed that level in the way you think about yourself. Okay, right. I'm with you. Trust me. I, I agree. I have the same question that you have. Well, how do I know my level so I don't exceed it? Verse three again. He says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather... Think of yourself with sober judgment. Um, I don't know if I told you guys, by the way, I still am nursing like an ankle injury. Do you know why? Because I'm in my 40s. 
And I went with my son to go play pickup basketball. But anyway, let's get back to the word. Kondo, know your level. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And here it is. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. The level with which you ought to think of yourself is based on the level of faith God has given to you. Uh, The idea here of faith distributed uh, is really the idea of measure or portion. In fact, other versions of the Bible uh, say, according to the measure of faith, God has given to each of you. According to the portion of faith that God has given to each of you. Paul is saying each of you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whoever you happen to be, You've been given a limited faith portion of the greater sum. Um, Paul's thoughts are so complex, they make my head hurt. And this has been true as I've kind of looked at this passage of Scripture. But Paul is saying, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you got a faith portion of the larger faith sum. It's a really interesting thought. I don't think Paul is talking about the faith with which you believe. He's not talking about active faith. He's talking about passive faith. He's not talking about the faith with which you believe in Jesus as your savior. No, he's talking about the faith to which you belong because you believe in Jesus as your savior. Here's what the point is. The moment you put your faith in Jesus um, for the forgiveness of your sin, the restoration of your relationship to God the Father, the moment you put your faith in the person of Jesus, you become a part of the faith family of Jesus. You now belong to the faith. That's how Paul is using the word here. You are given a place in the kingdom of faith. There is a portion in the kingdom of faith that's been assigned to you when you become a Christian. It has your name on it. There is a corner of this thing that is yours. That's how Paul is using this word. Okay, let's marry those thoughts again because Paul makes my head hurt a little bit. The level... On which you belong is based on the portion of the faith kingdom God has assigned to you when you are saved. If you want to know your level, you've got to know your portion. You've got to know what is this measure that he's given me of this faith empire. God, what portion of this faith family is mine? What portion of this faith movement, this faith kingdom, this faith empire is mine? Because that determines my level 
And my level determines how I ought to think of myself and how I ought to live. Um, This is going to get more clear in a second, but let me pause right now and just say I found this so encouraging. There is a level at which I ought to think of myself. And that level is based on the portion God has assigned to me in his faith empire. Woo, that's good. And I'll tell you why it's good. Because the level at which I ought to think about myself is never based on the last mistake I made. And for many of us, that's the level at which we walked into this room thinking of ourselves. No, the level at which I ought to think of myself is not based on the last rejection I experienced when I took my shot at whatever that thing was. The level at which I ought to think of myself is not based on my perception of how successful I am or feel as a parent. You do that. You are going to be leveling like level. There's no level. It just moves and fluctuates depending on the last blow up we had. Or blow out depending on what stage of parenting you are in right now. It's not based on your grades. It's not based on your playing minutes not based on the success of the last date you went out on. It's not based on your social media analytics, like how many people follow you and how many people like you and how many. And if you attach it to that, you are actually not going to think of yourself in the most meaningful ways at the level that's been assigned to you by God himself. It's not based on your marital status, whether you're single or whether you're divorced. It's not based on your physical or your mental health. It's based on the portion of this faith kingdom that God has assigned to you. I know. I have the same question you have. Okay. Then how do I know... The portion that's mine. How do I know the portion that God has assigned to me in his larger kingdom? Or Paul knew would ask that question. In fact, Paul knows like talk about faith and, and, and kingdom can be pretty abstract and arbitrary and a little bit more difficult to latch onto. So he helps us a little bit more and watch how he does it. Verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Kingdom and faith, okay, that's a little bit complex. So let me give you a more accessible picture. The body. Yeah, the body. Yeah, it's kind of like that. 
We all have one body with a bunch of different parts with a variety of levels of function. But all the parts still belong to the one body. And he says, so it is in the Jesus family of faith called the church. The body of Christ. Now he starts to round the corner to where he's going. There are many of us in this body called the church. With many different levels of function. But we all belong to the one family called the church. Whatever you do. Make sure you make priority room to love and serve the church. Because that's where you discover the portion that's been assigned to you in the faith family. That's where you start to discover the portion that informs the level on which you ought to think of yourself and the level from which you ought to live. That's where you discover your unique portion in the kingdom empire. Paul is talking about the church. Um, I think that's where you start to discover the level God has given you to now live out of. I think that's when you discover who he's assigned you to be. And now you can start to live from your level. On your level. No longer trying to be what you're not. You now know your level. Not trying to live on the level keeping up with the Joneses level. No, now you know your level. And you can think appropriately about yourself and live accordingly. In this pandemic proof way of fulfilled pursuit of what it is that God has assigned to me. No longer trying to keep up with the level your grandparents imposed on you. Now, now you're discovering your level, your portion, your place, your part. No longer trying to wait to see what kind of job you get to decide what level you ought to think about yourself. Or as if your career is now going to determine and define your level in the empire of God. Until you discover your portion, your part in the body of Christ called the church. Man, you're going to spend the best days of your life taking stabs in the dark. Trying to figure out your place. And you may make a lot of money. And you may be successful in the American dream economy. But in the kingdom economy. 
In many ways you find yourself flailing and one day something will hit and you will finally ask yourself soul-piercing questions. I am loaded. Why is it that I don't feel like I've lived my life? Because you missed the level assigned to you which is discovered in the context of the body which is the church. And here's how it works, right? Verse 6. We all have different gifts, different talents, different skills, different abilities. Things we are just naturally wired for. Things we are just naturally good at. Sure, we work to get better at them, but there's certain things. Raw material stuff. That just makes us uniquely good at certain things. We have different gifts, he says, according to the grace given to each of us. I love that. God gave you your unique ability, the things that you are naturally gifted at. God gave those to you. By the way, don't spend too much time hurting your brain, worrying about these gifts. Now, did I receive these unique gifts, these abilities when I became a Christian or before I became a Christian? You are going to drive yourself crazy trying to think about those things. Feel free to do it. Um, The point is, you have things that you are uniquely really, really good at. And God gave you the stuff. To be good at them. You didn't choose. You didn't decide. And for me it's like whether he gave that to you. When you became a Christian for certain things. Which is true. Or whether he gave those to you when you were born. You can just. I have 17 children. It feels like. But really it's just five. Um, It is hilarious. You should come to our house. And line up all of our kids. Grab a tennis ball. And just throw it at each of them. Some will catch and some will injure their eyes. Like you seriously can't catch the tennis ball. now. But you know that the constellations in the stars and the skies and the planets and the other kids are like, huh? While they juggle the tennis ball. Why? They were born with certain stuff that they're just naturally wired to do. They're just better at them. That's a God grace thing. That's Paul's point. These are given by his grace. And oh, by the way, also please don't hurt your brain worrying about what you're not naturally good at. Don't spend time talking about what other people are naturally. That's their portion. That's their level, which is the problem in the church. There are too many of us trying to live on someone else's level. Trying to live from someone else's portion. Don't worry about that. That's their thing. And we even say stuff like this. I just wish I was so much better at that. And you actually spend years. Years, I tell you. You know, trying to get that one muscle to look a certain way. And that's not for you. And you end up missing the fact that God has gifted each of us. He's assigned each of us the portion he wanted us to have. And there's no exceptions, by the way. He didn't miss you. You did not get 
skipped. You have your own unique thing, your own unique ability. Again, it may not be the same as someone else's, but you have a unique ability no matter who you are in the family of God. No matter what you've done, by the way, in the family of God. I love the fact that it is a gift given by grace. It is a unique ability given by grace. Well, I messed up and I ruined my marriage. Well, thankfully, it wasn't merit-based. It wasn't based on how well you did or performed or kept up. It was a grace gift given to you. This portion was given to you by grace. You didn't earn it. It was given to you by grace. And then he keeps going. And he gives a sampling of examples. For instance, if this is your portion, if this is your gift, if this is your ability, if your unique gift is prophesying, you have a unique ability to call people to the purposes of God for their lives in compelling ways. You can see something of God's purpose for them and you can call them to it. Paul says, then prophesy. In keeping with, according to this assignment, this portion that's been, that's your portion. So prophesy according to your unique assignment. He says, if it's serving, I mean, you just see very quickly ways that you can help people um, make life simpler or more enjoyable. And you just jump on it. You just see things that are going to help people. Paul says, and if that's you, you're uniquely good at that. Isn't that amazing? Like that's just one of the ways God has assigned some of us. And while you wish like you were like a CEO at a Fortune 24,000 organization, you know, writing, you can waste your time wishing for something else. I'm not saying Fortune 5000 CEOs aren't servants. But the point is, for some of you, the place you most come alive is when you see needs that need to be met. And you figure out, I know what to do and I want to do something about it. He says then, then serve. If it's teaching. You have a unique ability to help people understand the truth. He says, then teach. If it's to encourage. And you just find ways to motivate people to press on towards the good. Even when things aren't well, you just have a way of helping people keep pressing on. He says, then giving encouragement. If for you, you just find yourself naturally generous, if it's giving, right? You enjoy using your resources to help alleviate struggle or using your resources to help people enjoy life just a little bit more. He says, if that's you, then man, do it without expectation. That's what the word give generously here means. If it's to lead Do it diligently. 
And this is such an interesting use of the word lead. Uh, The way he's using the word here is, you know, the person who has a, a strong instinct, a strong instinct to protect, to watch out for people, to make sure that they don't get deceived or derailed away from what it is God has called them to. It is this instinct to want to help people get to where God wants them to go without anything threatening them. At all. It's that mama bear instinct. I will protect you so you can get to where you need to go. And said, if that's you, then lead diligently. Because it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a weight to bear to do that. If it's to show mercy... Again, you're just the person who is like... You see something or someone hurting and your heart just breaks... And the people around you kind of understand, like, why are you constantly getting involved in these messy situations? I don't know, but I see somebody hurting, and I'm compelled to come alongside them and to help move them towards health and healing. And for some of you, that's where you come alive. (laughs) This is so powerful. And by the way, this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch. It's just a sampling. And what a beautiful sampling. And as I reread this sampling even now, I'm stirred by how much we miss the heart of God and the portions that he's given us and the things he's called us to. Because I think about myself growing up or I think about myself as a parent and how often I may see some of these things in my kids. And my immediate thought is like, I don't see how that's going to translate into a major or a lucrative career. The number of times my parents saw something God had wired in me and said to me like, well, that's not practical. Be practical. And by practical, I mean, can it translate into a five-year plan that will yield success in the corporate world? And in many ways, the kids grow up and they get to this stage where they forgot that I used to love helping hurting kids on the playground. Until I was taught like, that's not going to make you money. And we steer them away from their portion. And we as parents sometimes pressure our kids to live on some level that they were designed for. And they have all of these internal crises. And we even tell them like, you're not good at that. You need to work harder. But I just want to look at the constellations. I don't want to play tennis. Well, stargazing never got anyone anywhere. And then we derail them from some of these beautiful things that God has spoken into their DNA. I digress. This is not an exhaustive list though. But some of you, it's administration. You can organize like a mad person, which I realize is is mixing metaphors there. Some of you is problem solving. You see things and you figure out really quickly, MacGyvery, how to take care of it. While the rest of us flounder. You're just, you're wired to do that. (laughs) Uh, In fact, you love doing it so much that you can't wait to get home from your job so you can do what what you love. For some of you, it's aesthetics. 
gosh, you see how things can be so much more beautiful. And you can just, you know, Joanna Gaines or, or, you know, Martha Stewart, unless she's in legal trouble, then I take that reference back. I don't know how she's doing. Um, But you can make things just look stunning. Um, You love to beautify. Man, and by the way, the more you start to explore these things, the more you start to see how your God is just like that. He loves gazing at stars. And he loves making everything beautiful in its time. And he loves to serve, hence he went to the cross. You look at this list and it's like, that's Jesus. It should be no surprise that he's equipped, armed, and portioned his body to show up like he is. Until we learn, like, that's not practical to be like Jesus. Do something else. But Lord, please change the world. I'm trying. Here's your portion. Whatever it happens to be. Accounting or or music. God gave each of us something. And our portion, our part to play in this community of faith called The church is key for us to discover. Paul is saying whatever ability it is God has graced you with. It's key to know what it is. And there's only one response as you figure it out. There's only one appropriate response. Use it. Use it. If you know what your unique abilities are, you know your portion and your part to play in the family of faith. Paul says there's only one appropriate response. Use it. Did you notice the pattern? If it's prophesying, use it. Use it. There are some of us prophesiers. Who have abdicated our portion of the kingdom. And we've become commentators on social media. It's like you know that that's something that that person could have used. Go tell them. The Lord will use that to speak to them. Paul says use it. Whatever it is. Use it. If it's this. Use it. If it's that. Use it. If it's this. Use it to help the church. Show up as the body of Christ. And thrive. Use it. Ooh, now it makes sense why Paul started this section of scripture the way he did. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the part God has given you to play in the church. Ah. I wonder if the problem Paul is addressing isn't that the people in the church started acting like they were a little too good for the church. Back in the first century. And I wonder if it didn't start showing up in things like self-sufficiency. To thrive and to live the dream cuz i want to i want to live the dream i don't need the body 
I don't need this faith community called the church. Matter of fact, I think I'm better off without the church. Y'all and all your drama and your neediness and messiness and people hurt each other and the backbiting and, you know, the gossip, you know, with a prayer for you, cover up like, no, I think I'm better off without to chase the dream. I think I'm actually better off in order to hit my five year plan. What do I need the church for? What does the church even know about investments? Church actually gets in the way of my plans, killing my buzz. I'm good by myself. To which Paul would say, um, don't start thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a part of something so much bigger than you. But I think this is how we do it. I'm good. I don't need anything from you. Please don't need anything from me. Self-sufficiency. Paul would say that is thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. You are a part of something bigger than yourself. And you notice the language of this passage is powerful. Paul is not inviting us to be a part of the church. He's saying when you got saved, God made you a part of this faith family to which you now belong. You are a part of the church. It is who you are. You don't get to opt out of it. You are a part of the church. You are a part of the body of Christ. Whether you like it or not. Whether you like the church or not. Whether you attend or not. Whether you engage or not. You are a part of the church. Verse 5. So in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each of us belongs to all the others. I read this and it still irritates me. I don't belong to anybody. It is me doing me. And Paul is suggesting don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Matter of fact, you cannot go where you were created to go without the church. It is not possible. That's the whole argument Paul is building. If your portion in the body is to be an ear. I'm just asking you, how far can you get in life without the rest of the body? And yet that's what self-sufficiency starts to do. Like, I'm a pretty swaggy ear. I feel like I can be everything I was designed to be. And then a pandemic hits and you have a crisis of the soul. I can't hear. All I want to do is hear. I've been trying to be something else. So I've been trying to be self-sufficient. No. You can't be everything you were called to be. You can't get every place you were called to be. Unless you are a part of the thing God designed you to be. Intrinsically. A part of. Again, an ear that cuts itself off is crazy. And the rest of us would look at that person and be like, what are you doing? Ear. We do it all the time. 
in our self-sufficiency. Paul says, no, you've forgotten that you're part of something bigger than you. And you've forgotten your part, your portion in the bigger picture. And it's going to affect the way you think of yourself and the level from which you ultimately live. Man, you need to play your part in the body to be everything you were designed to be. And when you discover, by the way, that you are an ear, now you can start to live. Now you can start to listen a little more closely to God for the sake of the rest of the body, right? Now you can start to hear the brokenness in the world around you. And now you can transmit what you're hearing to the mouth. And the mouth will start to say stuff about what it is that you hear. And now you can transmit to the hands which love to serve. And something can be done about this and watch out world. When you realize you're a part of something. And when you play your part in that something you start to live. The church begins to thrive. And self-sufficiency is close cousin independence, right? Like, um, I wonder if this showed up as independence in this church context. A way of thinking that says, my personal agenda is my personal agenda. My thing is my thing. Your thing is your thing. I'm just going to do my thing. And when the fall comes around, the question is what matters most to me and the people I like. That's what goes on our schedule. That's what goes on our agenda. If we have time, we might think about the rest of the body. That's... You are thinking a little more highly of yourself than you ought. You are a part of something so much bigger than... Yourself. Paul would be like, stop it. And yet for many of us, it's foreign that I'm suggesting we make priority space for the church this fall. Because we treat the church like an entity, an organization, to which I give my time. The church is a body. It's a living organism. And you are a critical part of it. Not an independent part. Busyness. I wonder if busyness set in to that particular context like it does to ours. You know, I'm, I'm too busy to play my grace-given part. I'm too busy to live out this portion assigned to me by God. Even though he says, if it's this, do it. Use it. I'm like, I'm too busy. <laughs> what? This is what I mean when I say, if you're too busy to love and serve the church, you are way too busy. This is who you are. This is kingdom stuff. And when I start to say I'm too busy, I am thinking a little too highly of myself. And yet we've become too comfortable saying, if I have time. I'm just telling you, if my teeth become too busy to chew... My teeth are too busy. Whatever you do, make sure you make priority room to love and serve the church. It's where you find your level. The level from which you ought to live. Man, this is so huge. And in fact, I want to speak really quickly to to the teenagers, to the younger people, to the college students. 
Because I think we've done a disservice. And you heard me address this a little bit before. I am telling you, the place you discover how you've been called to impact the world is not in your major. We've made it seem like it's that. Go to college and figure it out. No, serve the church and figure it out. You will never be too young to start figuring out, what am I good at? Mom, what am I good at? What can I do to serve the church? And I promise you, God will start making clear to you what you've been called to be and how you've been called to impact the world as you serve the church with the church, his body. It starts with the church and it moves out into the world, not the other way around. Otherwise, my kid is an athlete. Oh yeah, for how long? Really? And they end up missing what it is God has actually wired them to do. And we love figuring that. Trying to figure this out. Even, you know, my wife and I like, okay, they may be good at this sport. But what is it that they are called to do in that venue? That opening, that door God has given them. But it's in serving the church. I think you find your calling. It's where you change the world. And some of us have been struggling with our sense of identity and our sense of calling. Trying to find it in a major. Trying to find it in our career. Or trying to find it wherever else. I want to urge you. Start by serving in the church. If you know what it is that you've been uniquely wired to do. What you're gifted at. Figure out how can I use that to serve the church and help the church thrive. Use it. Whatever you do. Use it. And if you're the person who says, but I don't quite know exactly what it is God has wired me to do. I would say, look at a list of opportunities to serve the church. Whether it's this church or whatever other church you belong to. And just try something. Try something. The way I discovered what I was called to, was I was reluctant, but somebody cornered me. I was a college student who loved at the end of the service to get the quickest exit out. And somebody was waiting for me. Hey, do you mind helping? Do you have time to help with this? I'm like, I do have time. I do, <laughs> I do not have desire, but I do have time. And I started to do that thing. And as I started to do that thing, doors opened to do other things. And as I did those things, people started to affirm, we see the hand of God on you when you do this. And they also said, and they still do to this day, and we definitely see the hand of the devil when you try and do this. So don't do any more of that, buddy. I'm like, true. true. I'm just telling you. If you're an ear and you don't know it yet, and you're like, I'll go volunteer to carry babies. You would drop one and will tell you, hey, try something else. But what I t- you cannot say, I don't know what it is, so I'm not going to do anything. No, engage. It's actually as you engage that you start to discover what it is God has wired you to do. And as you discover what God has wired you to do, you start to discover what has called you to be. And, and the part is called you to play in the church and the level at which you ought to think about yourself. And the level from which you ought to live. Now we are living, church. I'm telling you, make room for the church this season. It is for your own benefit and for ours. So, Father, I pray that you would give... Grace to understand the gifts you've given us and the ways you want us to use those. Thank you that you've made us a part of your family. I just pray we would never 
Stop standing in awe of the fact that you have given us a share. We are stakeholders in your kingdom. It should blow our minds. We should want to do nothing more than to play our part to the greatest of our ability for your great glory. Help your church thrive and help each of us thrive as we discover the level you've called us to and live out of it for the sake of your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.